Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by winning. Not just any kind of winning. Winning 10 games in a row. Winning 10 games in a row and your name is the Golden State Warriors. That's what the show is sponsored by. The Niners are gone, but the Warriors are here. They are in full effect. Boogie is on the team, not playing a lot, but giving us that spark we were looking for. And now we are at 10 wins in a row. So if you like 10 wins in a row, because we do, well, then you're going to love this episode because that's what it's sponsored by. Now, Raymond, before we get started, why don't you let them know where can they find us? You can like us, as always, on Facebook.com slash The Goldcast. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same moniker of The Goldcast. Like, subscribe, comment, because we love to hear from you. And we've gotten a lot of interaction lately, so we definitely want to address um, those people who have been reaching out. We always appreciate it. Heck yes. Love it. All right, we're back. So today's episode... We're going to start with the biggest game of the year, the biggest game of the week, and that's going to be the Super Bowl and its impact to the 49ers. We're also going to talk about the new hires. We'll probably start with the new hires first, right? We should go new hires first, then Super Bowl, right? Or you want to go Super Bowl, then new hires? Let's get the Super Bowl out of the way because that's kind of the most annoying topic on our list, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're going to start with the Super Bowl first and its impact on the 49ers, mainly just legacy. This is, this is what's great. I think this has become a superpower of ours, Raymond. And this is why you tune into the Goldcast, fellow Goldcast Nation, Barry, faithful, worldwide Goldcast Nation. We got a lot of overseas guys that always reach out to us. Can't, can never thank those guys enough. The great part is that no matter what is happening in the world, we're going to always tie it back to Bay Area sports. That's what we do. That's why you listen. We will always tie it back to the 49ers, back to the Golden State Warriors, back to the SF Giants. If it is happening around the world, it means something to the Bay. World, world hunger, geopolitics, it all, <laughs> it all stems back to our Bay Area teams. <laughs> everything. Everything. The stock market going up, the stock market going down, everything. Our president, Everything. We will tie it back to Bay Area sports. We will find a way. Raymond, I realize after I don't know how many years we've been doing this, I've come losing track, four or five years now. This is one of our superpowers. This is one of the reasons why they love us, and that's why we love you guys. So, of course, before we get started, as always, we have to drop what is unequivocally, undebatably, unemotionally, factually, the greatest podcast intro in the game let's get busy san francisco are you ready ready? this is the gold cast boom welcome to another edition of the gold cast we are the voice of the bay i'm your host rudy salisa third and with me is my brother my co-host raymond salisa first baby boom yes Yes, here we are. Okay, biggest game of the year, biggest game in the world, the Super Bowl. I love the Super Bowl because it has the word super in it, and it also reminds me of my favorite superhero, Superman. It's a lot of supers, but that's uh, one of my favorite things about the Super Bowl. So let's talk about this, Raymond. So first of all, 
we're really going to talk legacy in the 49ers and where this all lines up. And then we'll get to uh, our picks. And uh, we've already announced last week in a shocking development, in a shocking twist, that you and I feel we have no choice but to root for none other than the L.A. Rams, our storied rival. Not my, not my most hated rival. Your most hated rival? The Seahawks mo- are up the there. Seahawks Rams, your most hated rival? Whenever the Rams were relevant, we weren't. So there wasn't really a rivalry. There was a, a brief rivalry between Harbaugh and Carroll, but it was so short-lived that I, I still hate that team, but it's just they're not – they don't get under my skin like they did when Harbaugh was coach. Like, they got under my skin when Harbaugh was the coach and Carroll and him were going back and forth and, you know, their defense was modeled after ours and, you know, they you know, NFL's a copycat league, so Seattle very much – a lot of the teams in the NFL were – modeling themselves after the 49ers because we got so hot under Harbaugh so quickly. But it was so short-lived that there wasn't really enough time for me to, like, continue to, like, hate Seattle. Like, they've been on the down skid, you know, for quite some time. Even though they're still in the playoffs consistently, their team has been slowly degrading uh, ever since the apex of back-to-back Super Bowls. And we actually have their best defensive back player, so... I'm I'm kind of okay with things right now. There's no one that really stands out that really gets under my nerves outside of New England. New England, I just I just can't stand them, no matter what. To me, it's New England. They they supersede Seattle and Los Angeles. Wow, just because they're there in the big dance again. Yeah, because they're there in the big dance. Because everyone likes to compare them to the 49ers era and compare Brady to Montana. It just gets irritating. All right. So let's talk about legacy. Let's talk about how this impacts the overall legacy and the the legacy stature of the NFL. See, so forever I used to say there was only three teams at the big boy table, right? I said it on the Goldcast. I said there were the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New uh, the the Pittsburgh Steelers with six, and the Cowboys and the 49ers with five. Now we had to add a fourth team to the big boy table when Tom Brady and the Patriots won five. Right now there's Four teams at the big boy table, which doesn't sound nearly as exclusive or as cool as three. I don't know. It's only one more team. But three is like, you know, gold, silver, bronze kind of thing. It sounds much more exclusive. Now, if Tom Brady, he already is considered by most people to be the GOAT because he surpassed Joe Montana. There was always a debate. He was, he was, Joe Montana was unequivocally the GOAT up until the debate really started to get close when he tied with four. Then when he got five... Everybody in New England, you know, and many people beyond were like, all right, he is now the GOAT with five. Now, if he gets six, if he gets, if he single-handedly brings the Patriots to the same level as the Pittsburgh Steelers with six and six, I mean, unequivocally, he he now has, as you said last week, he has many rings as Jordan does in, in football, as Jordan does in basketball. So let's talk about that first, but, uh, you know, that's... That's the first part. I want to talk about that. What do you think about that? But then I've got a lot of legacy stuff we're going to talk about. So hit me on that one first. Well, like I said, it's no no quarterback in the NFL needs as many Super Bowl rings as Jordan's NBA rings because it's just a different league. And that just goes against, you know, the unspoken rules of NFL supremacy. You know, Joe Montana was awarded that because he was the first to do it, um, you know, or second to do it outside, if you want to get technical with uh, Terry Bradshaw. But Terry Bradshaw, you know, largely rode on the coattails of that defense versus the, you know, the the elusive footwork and, you know, 
finesse passing. That was really what Joe Montana was all about. But to me, um, it's just annoying because it's like, I don't want to hear the talks anymore. I was like, this, this run has gone on so long. I'm just, I'm bored. I, if you're a New England fan, it's great. If I was a New England fan, I'd be loving it. But I'm not. You know, as a, and I, I'm pretty sure that every other fan base, to either some degree or a large degree, feels the exact same way, where they're like, I'm tired of this team. I either want to see another team in there or my team in there. And I think that's a fair position to take. And I just, it just seems ridiculous how many times they've gone. I think it's, it's, it's certainly impressive, obviously, in its own merits. You know, cheating aside, it's impressive to go that, that many times within a 15-year stretch. It's, it's no, you know, or 20 years, actually. It's a 20-year it's a run that they've, they've had here. It's a really good dynasty that they've got going on here. But I just... Um, I'm just kind of I'm over it, you know. I'm I'm not a New England fan. I, if if they weren't shrouded with so much controversy, I'd probably be be less be less uh, what what you would call it. I'd have less animosity towards that team. But you know, the fact that there is controversy surrounding the way that they've won some of these titles just like rubs me the wrong way because it's just like it's it's like all right, well it's it's great that they've done this, but there's always going to be this asterisk over their head. And the only people that are not, that are going to disagree with that asterisk are New England fans. And that's it. So they're in the minority. We're in the majority. So majority rules in my book. And we're tired of seeing this team, tired of seeing them win. If I, LA needs to pull this out. I, I trust Sean McVay because he's a, he's a newer, younger, innovative coach. Bill Belichick is a fantastic head coach. He's had no living influence of legacy outside of himself which is really you know kind of what the only knock on him is you know Bill Walsh still influences the league to this day and all of his all of his subordinates went on to go and live on his legacy and have successful careers a lot of them did Mike Shanahan uh, Mike Holmgren all those guys went on and then they created little trees too Pete Carroll Pete Carroll, all those guys. So, I mean, Bill Walsh's influence go far out, far outweighs anything Bill Belichick has done for the league because Bill, Chela, Bill, Bill Belichick's influence has only been in New England. It hasn't spread out to other teams and other franchises like, like so many other legends do. That doesn't mean he's not a good coach. Doesn't mean he doesn't deserve or that he's not going to go to the Hall of Fame. He's clearly going to go to the Hall of Fame. There's no debate in that. I'm not arguing that. I'm just saying that as far as influence is concerned, Bill Walsh is is still the greatest in NFL history. And that's, I don't even think that's debatable between the two. I mean, it's, in terms of statistics and wins, Bill Belichick holds that crown. In terms of influence and legacy, Bill Walsh, even still in his grave, cr- creating influence in the league. And um, Greg Papa also uh, agreed with this position too. I didn't, I didn't get it from him because I believed it before I heard him say it, but he uh, he talked about it in great length once he got hired as the uh the commentator for the for the Niners this coming season. So it just it just kind of affirmed my belief. Yeah, I like that. So all right, let's move on to the next level of legacy. The last team in the NFC to do what the Rams have done, which is go and win the NFC Championship on the road to get to the Super Bowl was the 49ers in 2012. The 49ers, as we all know, lost the game that we never like to speak of on the Goldcast. They lost the worst game of my life. 
which I'll, I love to tell the story at least like once a year. I'll tell the story later on in the year. I will, I will tell the story again for new listeners because uh, it's insane. The, 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 70, the, the 48 hours I had after the, or the 72 hours I had after the Super Bowl were the most depressing days of my life. And it was just a hurricane of horrible events just snow piling onto themselves. Anyways, back to this. So the Rams have the opportunity now to do what the 49ers did not. Uh, the difference is, is that uh, their opponent is much stronger. The real, the real, the real trump card in that in that Super Bowl was John Harbaugh. Any other coach besides John Harbaugh, I really do think we win that game. I truly do. I think John Harbaugh's understanding of Jim's style. I think that's really that's really what got them. I think any other team, even that same team with a different coach. I think we win that game. I truly think we win that game. And obviously, you know, we've, de- we've debated back and forth on the gold cast. You know, maybe we should have started Alex Smith versus Cap. Either way, it's neither here nor there. That's history under the bridge, water under the bridge. So I don't think the phrase history under the bridge is actually a phrase. I think I made that one up just now. It's history under the bridge. So now the Rams have the opportunity here to actually do something that the 49ers have not what is impressive, they are the third NFC West team to go to a Super Bowl this year, this decade. That's insane. If they win... Has no other team from the same division gone in a, in a decade? Three has- no, I, no, I like the, uh, no, I'm, sh- I, I we, we'd have to fact check that. We don't always, we, we, we pick and choose when we want to fact check things. I'm sure there have been other decades where um, whole divisions have, you know, gotten in but I mean we're, that's three of the four in one decade in a in less than a decade three of the four in like a seven eight year span is pretty good you've got the Niners Seahawks twice and now the Rams I mean that's it's pretty good for the NFC West the NFC West is very competitive all, three different teams you know all all in dominating fashion all you know so that's impressive so the Rams have an opportunity to do here what they haven't now the Rams winning obviously we knock off the Patriots and we, we stop them from entering into the upper echelon with the Steelers. The Rams win. <clears throat> it also puts them in, they now have two Super Bowl wins, right? Just two, because they have, yeah, the greatest show on turf win, and then this one, that's it. And they lost, they lost one back in the day, um, like way back in the day. So yeah, we've got two, two of them. Now they also avenge their previous loss to the Patriots, as the Eagles did last year. Eagles avenged their loss to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. So if the Rams take this one, they avenge their loss. So I think overall, I I almost feel like I'm now making a sales pitch to, to the Gold Cast Nation. I feel like you almost have to root for the Rams, right? Because like you have to... Like, I don't care. If the Rams really do lose, it'll be great because I'll be able to rub it in Rams' faces uh afterwards i have a rule and this i'm going to just tell this rule to the gold cast nation i do have i do have one rule and i really do because i think this is really shitty when people do this i don't believe in trolling people like the day after their their team has lost a playoff win a playoff uh game or a series or a championship especially a championship oftentimes i'll just go hey sorry bud that's all i'll say because i'll tell you what nothing hurt more than when a bunch of jackasses tried to troll me 
when the Niners lost the Super Bowl. That was the worst. I was like, I already feel like total crap. I already do. I don't need I don't need this extra kick in the gut. Like I really don't. It's just not it's not cool. And so I have to admit that was something that I was not a big fan of. And I made a point after that that I don't troll anyone. If you're a real sports fan, don't troll anyone. They already lose. They lost the playoffs. They already feel like shit. I don't care. Even Dodger fans. I hate Dodger fans. I've never once trolled any of my Dodger fans after they they've lost both these World Series. I will I will give them so much shit the following year about how they can't close. I will give them that forever. Go, what happened, man? What's going on, man? You guys can't seem to win the big game. Hey, next season, sure. I'll give you a hard time about it. About it then. I don't give. I don't put around those, but not in the pen. That's neither here nor there. I'm, uh, I'm, you know, going on some tangents here. But I think you kind of have to root for the Rams because I just feel like, okay, so they did what the 49ers didn't. Not that big of a deal. They get two. Not that big of a deal. We still have five, but. Again, this is kind of what we were talking about the year, the same year that the Patriots faced Atlanta. You really just don't want the pa- the Patriots winning. Just puts it just it just disrupts the entire hierarchy of the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl mafia families, the four families of the Super Bowl, the four Godfather families. It ruins it. Yes, it's fine the way it is. We don't we don't need any restructuring only need some new new faces within the existing families and and you know the Niners are starting to inch towards that 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 transition you know they they were set back last season uh, oh which reminds me actually 2015 the Cardinals went to the NFC championship game so all four teams have gone to NFC championship games from our division within the past you know less than a decade from 2011 to now that's true we went to three times. Seattle went twice. They went once, and now the Rams. Um, funny how we have the most appearances out of that group. Interesting. <laughs> interesting. Interesting stat. <laughs> so, as we now know, we will all be rooting for the Rams. Raymond and I will be. The question is, who will you be rooting for, Goldcast Nation? Let us know in the comments section on YouTube. Let us know on Twitter. Uh, let us know on Facebook. Just let us know wherever. I mean, plenty of people reach out to us on, on everything. So most people tend to just reach out to us individually, like on Twitter and um, Instagram. Like people just reach out. Yeah, it's kind of across the board. It is. Yeah. So <clears throat> now here's the question, Ray. Who do you think will win? You're the greatest fan analyst in the game. I'm just the most insane fan in the game. You're, you are the greatest fan analyst. I want you to tell me who... Who do you think is actually going to win the Super Bowl this Sunday? You know, my gut says New England because they're so darn experienced. But the Rams, the Rams have played really well in big game, like national games, games against playoff contending teams. They overall, the defense has been kind of a disappointment. I think as a collective whole, considering how much you know, effort and money went into acquiring a lot of big premier players and how collectively they just didn't come together and, you know, become this, the dominant force that they looked like they were going to be on paper. But in big games and in these playoff games, they've played really, really well together. And Dominican Sue's played well, Aaron Donald's played well, the defensive backs have played well. So I think that's kind of, that's the one edge that they have over New England. 
New England doesn't have a star-studded defense. They've got some players over there and certainly some pro bowlers too, but they don't have the same collective talent that L.A. does, and L.A. has an edge because of that, and they've also played well in all of the big, most majority of the most important moments throughout the season, including the playoffs. So I expect them to, you know, to exhibit the same level of urgency and 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 effectiveness that they have in all the aforementioned games. So I think that if they can, Kansas City's one flaw was they couldn't get to Tom Brady. And even though they have three really good pass rushers on that team, they were largely inconsistent all season, meaning that the sacks weren't timely enough, obviously because they had to shoot out every team to win most of their games. So even though you have three guys, two of them in double-digit sacks, but you're, you still have a terrible defense that gives up a lot of points, a lot of yardage, a lot of running plays, something's obviously off. With the Rams, I think that's a different case. It's a much more potent group, much much better group. They have, they're much more effective in, in the timeliness of, of their big plays. So I think that they, if they can do that, if they can disrupt Tom Brady, I mean, if you disrupt Tom, any quarterback in the NFL, you're going to have a really good shot at winning games because the time, the throws are going to be off. It's going to lead to tip balls, deflections, interceptions, fumbles. So if they can do that, Aaron Donald's a master at that. I'm pretty sure he's going to get defensive player of the year again. Uh, I think that they've got a really, really good shot, but it's going to come down to defense for LA's side. And on the offensive side, it's obviously going to come down to Gurley. And that's what's going to be New England's focus defensively. Is we take out Gurley, let's force Jared Goff to beat us with his arm. Again, that's the same. If, I, if it was me, that would be the game plan I'd be shooting for. So I think that's what New England's going to try to do. They're going to try to stop and contain Gurley and force Goff to beat him with his arm. And on the opposite side, you know, New England actually has a pretty good running game too. They have a committee of, of backs that do pretty well. So... LA is going to really have to stop that. But more importantly, they're really going to have to, because New England doesn't care. If you stop their running game, they don't care. They'll pass 80 time, 80% of the time and not even break sweat. So you really do have to stop Tom Brady. It, it's the reverse with that team. So with the Rams, you have to stop Todd Gurley to, and then force Goff to make mistakes. For New England, you have to stop Tom Brady because they – they they don't have a running game that's that's going to just run all over you if you stop Tom Brady. They can't they they don't play that way. They rely on the pass more than they do the run, even though they're more balanced this year. So I think the game plan still remains the same. Disrupt the passing lanes, get your hands up, get get in his face, hurry him, sack him, strip him. They got to do all that stuff. And they got to do it all game long. They can't just do it for two quarters and 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 put up a lead and expect everything to be fine. It doesn't work that way. Tom Brady's proven that over and over and over again, uh, albeit annoyingly, but he's done it. So if the Rams can do that, they've got a really good shot, and that's what I'm banking on. Even though my gut kind of says New England, you know, my analytical mind is saying, all right, the Rams can do this if they just stick to this plan. So hopefully they do that. So emotionally, I want the Rams to win. Okay. So I agree with you. Emotionally, I want the Rams to win. And I almost threw up in my mouth just having to say those words, but it is the truth. And when and when you signed up to listen to the Goldcast, you signed up for the goddamn truth. So, <clears throat> uh, all right. Here's what I think. I think we have a really similar situation this week to the one we had three weeks ago 
when the Eagles beat the Bears. I thought the Eagles, and we're going to go back another year, I thought the Eagles did to the Bears what the Atlanta Falcons had did to the Rams the year before. I thought the Rams were the better team, but the Falcons had more experience, and they've been there before, and they used that against the rookiness that a rookie coach, and I, I don't mean a rookie quarterback this second year, but they had a, it was they were all rookies as far as playing in the playoffs as a collective unit, right? The Rams had not been there in many years, and the Falcons took advantage of that, and they beat them, and they were able to squeak by, and then they got roasted in this in the next round, right? This year, I believe the Bears were the better team. They were the better team, not just statistically, but but not just on paper, but on the field. They were the better team. And I think the Eagles had been there before. And they were able to take advantage of that. And they were able to squeak by the Bears. And then get into a round that maybe they didn't really necessarily belong in. But hey, they got they got there mainly on experience. You know, they say on the back of Nick Foles. Nick Foles did not play that great at all. They got there on the back of that defense. Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately the, uh, the Bears... Offense just was there. Just was not enough there when they got into trouble to pull them out of trouble. If they had a more efficient quarterback, that's one with a with a, a better skill set. They probably would have been able to get by no problem, right? But once that once that offense started to get behind and crumble, that was it, right? Okay, so now I feel that way about the Rams. I feel like the better team that should have been in the Super Bowl. Is the New Orleans Saints. I feel like the better team is not there. And I think that the New Orleans Saints, two years in a row, kind of got by on a technicality. You know what I mean? They got by on a technicality. They got by on something that they got by because of that, that huge no call. And granted, the Rams had the Saints had other opportunities to win it. But just if you if you call the pass interference, if you call if you make that call. Then you have to you have to bring the ball down to, to to the point of the of the penalty, and we have an entirely different game with so little time left on the clock. You have an entirely different game. So I just feel like the Rams weren't the better team. The Saints were the better team, but the Rams squeaked by, but they really weren't supposed to be there. And so now what you have is you have a team that's really good. Okay, um, the Rams are really good. I'm not saying that they're not. They're an excellent team. All four of these teams from Championship Sunday have the talent and the skill to be playing at the Super Bowl. There's no question about that. But I do feel like the better team did not win two Sundays ago. And I feel like this team that got by, by a hair, I don't think they have what it takes to beat the New England Patriots. I think Belichick and his ability to scheme defenses, I think he's going to confuse Jared Goff. I think he's going to get the better of him. I think they might try to take away the run, which I think they can. Gurley hasn't really played very much, and he hasn't played, he hasn't barely played at all. Hasn't hasn't looked 100% either in this stretch. No, he hasn't. He's been sharing time. With uh, with C.J. Anderson. Well, C.J. Anderson took all the all the basically took all the snaps last week. He took all the snaps. So maybe they're holding him. Maybe they're going to unleash him this Sunday. I wouldn't be surprised. Of course, you know there's stopping there's 
saying you're going to stop Gurley and then there's actually stopping Gurley. Those are two different things. I don't think Jared Goff has played that great in the second half of the season. He had a couple of amazing throws two weeks ago, but overall hasn't looked as dominant. I mean, he was in the MVP conversation through the first eight weeks of this year, and now he's not. So I feel like just looking at the landscape, as much as I want the Rams to win, I don't think they're going to. I think that I think Belichick and his defense is going to confuse Jared Goff. I think they might take away the run and force force Jared Goff to beat them with his arm. He's got a great arm, and he's pretty accurate when he wants to be, but I think ever since Cooper Cup went down, that offense has not been the same. Cooper Cup, it was his favorite target, and Cooper Cup opened up the entire offense. And ever since Cooper Cup has gone down, they've had a lot of trouble finding a wide receiver that could take that spot, that could open up and spread the offense. Right? And they have had a lot of trouble with that. Robert Woods hasn't really lived up to it. You know, he hasn't really ha- ha- been at the level. I agree with you that the real, their hope, their hope is in that defense. If Aaron Donald can get to Tom Brady, then we have ourselves a game. And that's really where it is. In the, okay, so here's the flip side to it. The flip side to it is that the Rams, the Rams defense has slowly but surely started to start playing to their build weight and height. You know what I mean? On paper, they're a heavyweight, colossal. They're supposed to be a champ, and most of this year they haven't, but they're finally playing to their build, weight, and height, slowly but surely. And so if they have any chance in this game, it has got to be through their defense, and their defense has to get to Tom Brady. But of course, saying that they have to get to Tom Brady and then actually getting to Tom Brady is another thing. Of course, I think this defense is a lot better on paper and on the field than Kansas City was last year. But that's what I think. I think I think the Patriots defeat the Rams. I'm going to go I'm going to go 31-28. Patriots. If you were to drop a score, what would you say? Mm. Probably something like 35, 31, 35, 31 Rams. All right. Well, I hope you're right. I really do. So what say you, Goldcast Nation? Let us know in the comments. What do you think is going to happen? And now let's move on because there's some big news relevant to today. Now, first I want to get to our buddy Andy Laird's comment. Andy Laird's all the way from the UK. Big Niners fan. He said to us, he said, and this leads right into what we're going to talk about. He says, I noticed your three reasons to watch the Warriors episode. Their performance has improved. He's talking about the Warriors. I can't wait for your three reasons to watch the Giants, the SF Giants. I know nothing about baseball, so we'll be interested to see if you guys can convert me. Anyways, great show as always. Roll on draft season. thought that was great. And the reason I talk about that is because we're rolling right into the Warriors. And the big news coming out of today that everyone's talking about is that Anthony Davis has requested a trade. Now, it is unclear. It is unclear whether or not the Pelicans will actually, you know, uh, honor this trade and trade him this year. But the two teams that everyone's saying that have the most chips to go in and make a trade are, of course, the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers. Apparently, Anthony Davis has made it fairly clear that he truly just wants to play for the Lakers, but has not requested from the team that he only be traded to one team. So, again, the Pelicans don't have to do anything. 
And in fact, they've been really upset. They've been feeling like there were there's been tampering going on. They've requested that the NBA look into tampering as they feel that's happened. Come on, we all know that's happened, right? Like everybody and their mom has tried to recruit him. Draymond's tried to recruit him. LeBron's tried to recruit him. Everyone has been, no one has hid that this is, that they want, that they don't want Anthony Davis on their team, right? So here we go. So here the question is, Raymond, what does this, how does this impact the season? Warriors on a huge 10-game win stretch. Boogie Cousins has has not played much, but has done what, what he was brought in to do, and that's kind of give them a spark, put some new blood in there. They really do look rejuvenated and refreshed, and they are on beast mode right now. So the question is, what exactly does this trade mean? If he goes to Boston or to L.A., what is the impact to those two th- two teams as far as the playoff, the playoff positioning? What are we going to see? What do the Warriors have to be worried about? Well, I think they have to wor- be worried if he goes to a te- any team because he's a two-way player. So he can shoot well, he can post up well, and he can defend really well. He's an incredible defender. So he's top five in that category. So any team that gets him, it's like the equivalent of getting a a Kawhi Leonard or someone like that, you know, a two-way player, a Clay Thompson, even though Clay Thompson's a little bit more on the um, the humbler side of the de- defensive statistics. But um, either way, you're getting that kind of player. And any player like that, he's going to change the dynamics of your offense and your transition defense. So... If he goes to the Lakers, he obviously, I think they become a front-run contender for the West. Uh, or next to the Warriors, I wouldn't say they're better than the Warriors, but they definitely are someone I would expect to see in the finals or the 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 the, the semifinals, the, the conference championship. If he goes to someone like the Celtics, then I think they're a shoe-in to go and represent the East with a player like that. I don't expect any of this to happen soon. I mean, we have a trade deadline coming up in on the next month, the not, not this week, but next week on the seventh. So, and I, the Pelicans stated that they're going to do this on their time and it's going to be, you know, on their terms. So if Anthony Davis is going to blind sign them with a curveball mid season, we're actually past midway point in terms of uh, games played then, you know, I would, as a team owner or a general manager, I would say, all right, that's fine. We're going to trade you, but it's not going to be on your terms. It's going to be on our terms because you're under contract for us. So you're, you're paid to play for us. So if you don't want to be here, we're going to do what's best in the interest of our team. So that doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to get to go to the team of that, that you truly want to go to. If, if that's, if, you know, if that ends up being LA, LA is going to have to give up quite a bit in return, which means they're going to lose one or two starters on that roster. In a, in addition to first round, a, a first round or more draft picks, a first round draft pick has to be included in this package, no matter what team it is. I don't care who you are. You're giving up a starter, you're giving up some bench players, and you're giving up some draft picks, including a first rounder for Anthony Davis. He's just that good. He's young. He's in his prime. He's been in MVP conversations. He he. He defends as as well as he scores, so you're getting a tremendous deal no matter what team you are. But it's going to come at a heck of a price. I'm not sure. I'm I'm I think LA is in position to make that decision. I'm sure they would be, uh, knowing them. But the question is, will that will it be enough? You know, to entice the Pelicans to make that move, and will it be in time? Will it be this season, or will it be next year? 
That's that's the only question really is is when and who and for how much. That is the question. So I was reading on some reports, and there, according to what I've been reading on the reports, he does not want to go to Boston. I mean, who the hell does? He doesn't want to go to Boston. He wants to be traded to the Lakers, but of course has not requested a, I'm only going to be traded to this team. He's not, well, he is in that position. He's also not in that position. You know what I mean? Like it's a little bit of both. And I could see the Pelicans potentially just going, screw it. We're just going to hold you. So I don't think he becomes a free agent until 2020. So you know, it's still some time away. So they could it's very similar to the Leonard deal. So Leonard requested a trade. It was kind of abrupt and surprising to the team that he was disgruntled. And even then, the Spurs said, all right, well, if you're going to get traded, that's fine. But it's going to be on our terms. And it's going to be, you know, you're not going to go to any team you want to go to. So, you know, they, they chose the team with the best deal. You know, a star for star, picks, picks for him. And, you know, ended up being Toronto. I, I imagine something similar will happen here. And they sent him. They go, oh, you want to go to the sun? All right, you're going to Canada in the north. Have fun. Complete opposite direction of where you want to go. We're going to send you to the opposite end of the country. Uh, go fuck yourself. That's what you get. <laughs> that's, that's literally what they did. Uh, that would be funny if he also got sent to Toronto, too, and all of a sudden they had a super team, a giant super, super team. It'll be interesting to see. I, I don't believe that if he goes to the Los Angeles Lakers, it makes them far more competitive, but not enough. I don't believe if they have to face the Rockets or the Warriors, I don't believe they're getting out of that series. I, I just don't. I don't think – I think that – you know, some people – some people or even Stephen A. Smith was penning them for the Western Conference Finals. And I'm like, are you serious? Do you really think this is going to happen? I mean I, – I, and, you know, the the – the West looked a little wonky in the first couple weeks. It reminded me of the September NFL football where, you know, up was down and down was up. But the Rockets are on beast mode. The Warriors are on beast mode. LeBron was hurt forever. Is he is he back yet? I don't even He's still hurt, right? He's still hurt. No, he's still wow. hurt. He's missed like 16 Jeez. games. You know, I think that I think the expectations were really high for the Pelicans, which is where his his dissatisfaction is coming from. I mean, they were a low seed last season and came in and swept the three seed, which was the Blazers. And, you know, everyone was actually riding them high going into the Warriors series. And then they just got demolished in that series. They only savored one game out of that series. And that was the game that Anthony Davis was said, you know, we're not, we're not losing this game, I believe is the comments he made during that particular contest. But in his in his words, he says he has to be near perfect for them to to have a chance to win games. Because in other words, he's saying my supporting cast sucks, and in order for us to have a chance, I have to win. Without him, they lose. They lose quite a bit. With him, they still lose quite a bit because they just don't have a good cast. I thought Boogie Cousins was a nice pairing for him, but for some reason, New Orleans just didn't pursue. I think they were banking on the fact that his injury and his at his age, you know, was a good time to part ways, and you know, coming back was going to be difficult for him. And I don't think they trusted his his resolve. But any player's resolve, regardless of where they've been and what kind of adversity they've gone through, seems to change when they play for the Golden State Warriors. And that's because the, the, the standard of play in our team is extremely high. So anyone that comes over that's 
necessarily that hasn't had the best track record in terms of consistency or attitude or something like that. All that seems to go away whenever they play on our team. So I think it was a good bet for the Warriors to take, and he's the one who reached out to them anyway, so it's not like they were even looking for a Boogie Cousins, but it seems to have worked out so far. He's shooting well. He's playing well. He looks he looks good. He doesn't look like he's lost any step, really. He's just acclimating right now. Oh, and it's a perfect place for him to go, right? Because there's no pressure. He doesn't need to – there's no pressure on him. They can win this – they can win this without him. And so there's no pressure. He's able to heal and get acclimated as at his own pace. Yeah, they won eight games before he got there, so, before he came back. So they were already on a streak before he got into the mix, and he's just been keeping it going. So now they're up to 10. And they're the second-best team in the association behind the Milwaukee Bucks, and it's only by a game. They're 35-13, and 35-14. I love it. I love it. I cannot wait to go fully dive in after this week. We're going all in, diving into the Warriors. It's going to be a great, great season. We've already converted several Niner fans. Let's keep going. Goldcast Nation, let's move over into the Warriors. It's going to be a great season. Here's the rule. This is. I feel like this has become the rule. The rule this decade is San Francisco must win a championship somewhere every year. If we can't get it from our 49ers, goddammit, we're going to get it from some other team. And uh, it was the Giants before, and now it's the Warriors. So this is the sports law, and it's going to be the sports law. You, you, we don't know when the sports law ends, but you got to write it as long as possible because when it's gone, it's gone forever. So write it now because this is the law. San Francisco must hoist a championship above its heads every single year right now, somewhere. So here we go. Now, Raymond, let's go back. Last week, we were talking about all of the 49ers blocking. They blocked all of these coaches and have since done an about-face, and now we have a new staff underneath Kyle Shanahan. Can you break down what happened and who are the new staff members? Well, we've finally hired a quarterback's coach who actually used to be with the team. Shane Day, I believe is his name. Yeah, Shane Day for quarterback's coach. We've hired Chris Chris Kokurek. I think I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. He's the new defensive line coach, and we've ha- uh, hired Joe Woods, uh, who's the defensive back coach. So Jeff Hathley went to go be co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State, I believe. I think he knew his time was up anyway, so it was just good timing for him. And our defensive line coach, you know, we've been last in sacks you know sacks and turnovers for the last two seasons so we've been among among dead the dead close to the bottom of the barrel in both those categories so definitely needed some change there and joe woods had doesn't necessarily have a glaring resume according to the statistics i've looked up here he was the defense's back coach for minnesota from 2006 to 2013 and um and then he was the defensive back coach for the Denver Broncos between 2015 and 2018. And then, or he was actually the defensive coordinator for two seasons. So, so two seasons he was the DB coach, two seasons he was the defensive coordinator. And there's actually a lot of good stats for the Denver, Denver Broncos. I mean, he's still playing largely with the team that went on the, the two Super Bowl runs. Uh, so most of the star players, including Von Miller, are on that roster. So 
the the turnover and performance hasn't been too bad for the, the Broncos defensively. Offensively is where they've really kind of slowed down and gone through a little bit of a quarterback carousel and haven't really found their footing. But defensively, they've been pretty consistent. So statistically, they look great on paper. Uh, under his tenure, they were third in uh, touchdown passes allowed. They were first in touchdown passes allowed. And then in picks, they were kind of middle of the road, 13th, I think, both both years. And then I think uh, they fell down a little bit those these past couple seasons, and I think that's when the demotion was being considered, and I think he was either going to get fired or go somewhere else. So I think that was what they were looking at. But, um, you know, I think Kyle Shannon reached out because I think he, despite – you know, despite uh, working with a really good group, he was able to, it's just because you have a good group doesn't mean that you can, you know, you're expected to do well with that group. You know, lots of coaches have really good collection of talent and are still able to, and are somehow not able to make it work. You know, look at Wade Phillips, a very proven, experienced coach who just didn't seem to, wasn't able to kind of pull that defensive group together, although they seem to be playing better as of late. So, but I think that uh, Joe Woods, I think I think anybody's better than Jeff Halfley at this point. So I think Joe Woods will be a nice uh, addition to the team because I think he's going he's gonna to come from an area where it was a high level of performance play on the Denver Broncos side, especially in the secondary. And he's going to bring that to this young group and whoever comes in and who, you know, whoever comes in to replace some of the existing players on the roster and some of the draft picks that are there, the existing draft picks that are there to help um, polish their game. And then on the defensive side, uh, we have a bunch of high draft picks and none of them seem to be working out all that well, except for DeVoris Buckner, who's not even a John Lynch pick. He's a Trent Baalke pick. So we have Thomas, who hasn't been doing too well. And we have Eric Armstead. Or Eric Armstead, I think, is also a uh, a Trent Baalke pick. So, and uh, the year before, and then after that, we picked an offensive lineman with our first pick. So, I think that um, getting Chris Corrick here, who was with Detroit, and Detroit, this is a group. Um, this one actually, I kind of I like this pick, even though again, not a lot of huge glaring numbers that I'm seeing on my on my page. You know, rushing in terms of rushing defense, our our squad has actually been pretty good. Um, on the first level, meaning the defensive line, on the, in terms of line, line of scrimmage play, our group has been pretty good statistically, even though I think we finished the season a little bit on the higher, on the lower side uh, of the rankings. But for uh, Kokurek, if I'm saying that correctly, he's had kind of an ebb and flow with the Detroit Lions. And this is during Ndamukong Sue's era when he was with that team too, and they were number one at one point. So the rankings from 2010 to to 2016, which is when he coached, or 2017, is 20th, 24th against a run, 23rd, 16th, 6th, 1st, 20th, 20th, 19th. So it, and, and if this was a graph chart, you can kind of see a little mountain shape appearing on the graph where they started off bottom of the barrel, they had an apex, and then they came down a bit. And then he went to, in terms of sacks per game, not a whole lot of positives here they were six in the league the year he took over they were 14th 21st 12th 5th the year that they were the number the best defense in the NFL 10th after that 29th and 20th so not super encouraging statistically I was hoping to see better numbers but again I think the one positive we're going to pull from it is a he's had had some has had success with a franchise that is notorious for being unsuccessful 
which is a good thing. And then the other the other important uh, coin to add to that equation is the fact that he's getting paired up with one of the best offensive minds in the game and a young defensive mind. So they're bringing a lot of experience to a young defensive mind who clearly needs some some help and support on a on a defensive squad that is just struggling struggling to pull it together. And it's a combination of a lack of talent and a combination of injury and health concerns, which is why we've now, you know, completely revamped and restructured the the, the health staff. John Lynch even reached out to the Warriors for advice on that because I know uh, the Chelsea, the the, the short short haired woman who's always on the sidelines with the Warriors, sitting next to the coaches, she's the head of their health and uh, conditioning staff. She does an amazing job with that entire squad, and they've been relatively healthy for most of this run. They've had some 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 injuries but they've been able to come back and play when they've been needed the most. So I think that's that's really key. So it's good that he's reaching out and thinking of outside the box in terms of how to improve the health of this team because the last two seasons have just been dismal. And you can't you can't win if you continue on a trajectory like that where you're just dealing with double-digit IRs um, every single season. So to have that change is any change that needs to be made is good, you know, it, Maybe it didn't need to come to a firing, but you needed to do some change. Somebody had to take the fall for the fact that players are just not staying on the field. And as a result, not being able to gel and refine their skill sets and improve and make the team better. So that needed to change, and I'm glad it did. And so, you know, I think these coaches are okay. Shane Day is the one that kind of sticks out to me as kind of an odd pick because he's has a little bit of quarterbacks coaching experiences but he was spent the last three seasons as a tight end coach for the Dolphins and last I checked the Dolphins were not a high flying tight end passing team you know the the the, the teams that the teams with the best tight ends were in the playoffs and were the Niners so you had Travis Kelsey Gron- Gronkowski and George Kittle who was the best tight end in the NFL last year this past season. So uh, I, I don't know where that's coming from. He was the, uh, he spent 2010 and 2011 with the bears in, in the same role. Um, he was, he was also, he was also uh, the assistant offensive line coach in Washington. And he did, he was with the Niners before the name sounded familiar it sounded really familiar, and that was because he served as the offensive quality control coach from 2007 to 2009 for the Niners. This is during the Alex Smith era, and he worked with the quarterbacks in 2007. He worked with the running backs in 2008, and he worked with the offensive line in 2009. So, I mean, in that regard, he's worked with, every, except for wide receivers, he's worked with every level of the offense. So he has some experience in his earlier in his career, and then he kind of bounced around between offensive line and, and tight end between the Dolphins and the Bears, and now he's back to quarterbacks with us. I thought we would hire within. Maybe LaFleur would get that job, but uh, you know, I, they went outside the box with Shane Day, so I'm not sure what they're thinking there. But um, if, if there's any area of the 49ers' growth that seemed to us that, that's, that hasn't really daunted, that hasn't made me feel discouraged, it's the offensive side of the ball because I trust Kyle Shanahan's mind and his knowledge of experience in terms of working with coaches. You know, uh, everyone that he seemed to have hired has done a pretty good job, uh, you know, albeit 
with a lot of significant injuries, but they've made it work with what they've had. So, you know, hopefully Shane Day does a pretty good job with these quarterbacks because, you know, they've, they obviously, Rich Scangarello, I think I can't say much more about him working with our existing group and having them play the way that they've played with the lack of support and talent that we've had and still been able to play well enough to get noticed. And now he's an offensive coordinator for Vic Fangio. So, you know, congratulations to him. But uh, that was the only one that stood out to me that was kind of questionable. Everyone else, Woods and and Kokirik, have all had success at, to varying degrees. Nothing that actually you know jumps out at me. But they've had had some some you know top tier. They've worked with top tier squads, so that experience I think is what kind of stands out to me. Even though it hasn't been consistent year after year after year, I think they would have progressed into higher you know more. Uh, they would have gotten promotions, although Woods got promoted to defensive coordinator. So that speaks to his level of knowledge to be able to climb the ladder the way he has. Although they they were pretty bad this past season, uh, offensively and defensively. But I think some of it was due to injuries, and they've had some quarterback issues over there. And the coaching carousel changed out when uh, Vance Joseph took over the coaching job over there. But overall, I think uh, I think anyone's better than who we had. So I think the defensive backs will improve this next coming season. I think the defensive line will improve this next coming season. I think we're going to get a pass rusher in the early round. So I think it's really going to help balance out, counterbalance DeForest Buckner, who's finally had a breakout season. I think quarterbacks, I think, should be largely the same because obviously Kyle Shanahan's going to be involved with that group in addition to Shane Day. So I'm not too worried about that. Besides, these quarterbacks already know the playbook and the scheme to this point. So I don't expect too much to change. Um, it's just more or less just polishing their existing skill set to make them better. So I trust that group to continue on that trajectory. And we all know what Jimmy Garoppolo brings to the table. It's just a matter of him making better decisions um, outside the pocket so he doesn't endanger himself like he did this past year. So overall, I feel pretty good about these picks. Um, they've all had success, and I expect them. I expect the team to take take some pretty big leaps next season, which we'll kind of get into more as as the uh, as as draft time comes and then of course as preseason gets near we'll get we'll get into some more details about expectations of the year. I think they'll be similar to what they were this past season um, before all the injuries, you know, before we were maligned with a ton of injuries. Oh, so the Super Bowl. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Excellent, Raymond. Love the breakdown. That's why you're the greatest fanalist in the game. Now, Raymond we're about to sign off here, but before we go, why don't you let them know where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at RaceElise and on Instagram at RaceElise1. I appreciate you guys shouting out. You know, I know there's been a lot of talk about um, Antonio Brown. It's still kind of up in the air as to, you know, whether we're going to get him or not. I, I also understand from what the rumor mill also says that we're targeting Le'Veon Bell. So whether we can get two marquee players of that caliber um, on the squad, I... I think it's more likely that we would get one of them if 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 there's any you know percentage of probability to put in there. I think it's more high. It's more probable that we get one versus both. And we'd have to break the bank, uh, including the draft bank, in order to get both of those players. And even then, they're not. They don't solve the glaring issues on defense, um, which has been one of the things that's kind of keeping us out of competing because offensively we do well even with a lackluster squad so imagine with two players like that we i think with if you if we were to get both of them we would become uh we'd be we'd be just as potent as the rams the saints and the the kansas city chiefs with without a doubt 
you know, you become, you know, similar to how the Atlanta Falcons operated under Kyle Shanahan's coordinating during that's the MVP season of Matt Ryan. So you become that type of high scoring team with those two players. I think even one of them makes you, puts you close to that within that category. Well, the tough part is though, those guys are all looking for, they look, they're looking for big long-term deals. Um, my brain instantly goes to, well, then can we do a LA Rams thing where we get all these guys in like one to two year rentals? I'm just not sure if those guys are interested in those kinds of things. You know, obviously AB is a trade, Le'Veon Bell is a free agent, so that there's that to consider as well. What's going to cost to get AB? They're going to want the house. And right now, I think we need that first round draft pick to go on the defense more than we need an Antonio Brown on offense. I get that the rules have changed, they lean more heavily towards offense right now, and this would obviously give us a lot of weapons, but I still think you need that defense it still is vital I, I i don't know if defense wins championships anymore we'll see what the next 10 to 20 years bring you know statistically that has yet to be disproven but we're entering a new era in the nfl so we'll see what happens we will see i agree all right and you can find me on instagram and twitter instagram at rudy solis three on twitter at rudy solis three r D. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa I, baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time, same Gold Cast channel. This is, is the Gold Cast.